This podcast contains excerpts from game books that are used for the purposes of review, education, and historical documentation. The excerpts are intended to illustrate and compare the features and characteristics of game books. The use of these excerpts is consistent with the principles of fair use under U.S. copyright law. No infringement of any rights is intended or implied. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the view of the game book authors or publishers. Welcome to the second episode of the Vintage Game Book Podcast, a podcast all about vintage game books. Each episode will introduce a vintage game book and spend some time playing through it and reviewing it. This is John from BipsterOutpost.com. Thank you for coming along with me on this journey to another time and another place, a time in the late 20th century, a place where you are the hero. Today on the Vintage Gamebook Podcast, we'll be discussing Night of the Nazgul by John David Rumler. Night of the Nazgul is the first of a series of game books set in J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth. Today we'll be reading from the U.S. edition, published by Iron Crown Enterprises and distributed by the Berkeley Publishing Group. I believe this copy is a first edition. It was published in 1985 and features illustrations by James Holloway and Richard Britton. Rumler, the author, only wrote one other game book to my knowledge, and that was a later book in the Middle-Earth Quest series. He dedicated Night of the Nazgul to Patty, Jessica, and Rose. As we'll soon see, playing through Night of the Nazgul is a very different experience to the one we had last week in Trial of Champions. For starters, the book uses a map to direct the reader to different reading sections. I'll put a URL of the front and back of the map in the description. Our playthrough will make a lot more sense if you're looking at the map, or at least if you at least have a sense of what it looks like. In this gamebook system, the reader can choose between a basic or advanced rule set. We'll be playing through the book with the advanced system, with the additional terrain and movement rules, and the optional bonus for picking one of the Middle-Earth races. I won't read through all the rules in detail, but here's a bit of an overview and glossary so you'll have a sense of what I'm doing as we play through the book. When you hear the words, move on, that means we can move from one hexagon on the map to an adjacent hexagon. The destination hex will have a corresponding text section that we will then read. If we're told to move on in a random direction, we have to roll two uh, we have to roll two six-sided dice to see which adjacent hex we should move to. Whenever you hear pick a number, that just means we should roll two six-sided dice. And I've got my handy dice tower here as as I did last week that we'll be using throughout the playthrough. Every time I read a section of text, I'll also be adding to a running total of time that has elapsed since the start of the adventure. Time comes into play later in the adventure, but for our playthrough today, we'll just need to remember that after we reach 780 total minutes of time elapsed, we're required to rest for the night and eat a meal. Resting and eating a meal allows us to heal up to 15 damage. The optional rules for movement that I mentioned allow us to move faster if we're traveling along a road or on horseback, and also allow us to hunt and forage for food if we run out of provisions. But enough about the rules, let's talk about character creation. I've taken the liberty of creating a character who I nicknamed Vigal, short for Vintage Gamebook Audio. 
The first step of creating a character, after naming them of course, is rolling for strength, agility, and intelligence. As in D&D, these character stats then impact skill bonuses. Unfortunately, my stat rolls were a bit lower than average, which resulted in poor Vigao having some negative bonuses for some skills. Our offensive bonus is plus two for melee attacks and minus three for missile attacks, such as um, using a bow and arrow. Our defensive bonus is minus one, running is minus one, trickery is zero, perception is plus one, and finally, magic is minus three. Also, Vigao is human, which gives us a plus one bonus for the general skill. We start with 36 endurance points, which um, through the playthrough I always want to call hit points, but you'll get the idea. Here's a quick summary of the book's prologue. We work at the Prancing Pony Inn in Bree, and one evening a hobbit just randomly comes up to us and tells us we should meet his friend, who turns out to be none other than Aragorn. This all takes place prior to the opening of The Lord of the Rings, and Aragorn is in his ranger guise. Aragorn, slash Strider, tells us that he wants us to warn the hobbits of the Shire about the coming of the Nazgul. We must make our way from Bree, across the Brandywine River, and eventually to Hobbiton, alerting hobbits as we go. So it's sort of a midnight ride type of situation, although we travel during the day. We're told to avoid the main roads if possible. We start our adventure with some equipment. We have seven meals of lembus, three pieces of silver, three healing herbs, a silver dagger given to us by Strider, and our trusty map of the Shire. Strider also gives us the option of choosing either a sword, a mace, a bow, or chainmail. For this playthrough, I went with the sword because it adds extra damage to our attacks. Certainly was tempted by the chainmail, as it would add to our defensive bonus, but it also results in a minus two bonus in trickery, running, and magical, so we opted for the sword. We start our adventure in Hex 1D, and the prologue concludes by instructing us to move on. So here we go. From our location in Bree, we can choose a northerly or southerly route either to the north or the south of the East Road, if we are to avoid the East Road and not travel it directly. If we take the southerly route, this will lead us into the Barrow Downs, which sound somewhat dangerous and yet perhaps rewarding. The Old Forest is also to the south of the East Road, which might be dangerous, but may also allow us to encounter a friend, Tom Bombadil. Therefore, we'll go to the southwest to hex 2e. We must add 90 minutes to our time. Cross the silent overgrown Northway and continue making your way through the barren, windswept Barrow Downs. No sign of life comforts or alarms you, yet you cannot relax, for here on the Downs the undead dwell. A half mile ahead rises a ringed mound, a large barrow from which a strange, plaintive cry emerges. If you explore the barrow, turn to 107. Otherwise, move on.
never wanting to ignore a cry, whether it be for help or distress or some other emotion. We'll check 107. One oh seven. Fifteen minutes has elapsed. The wood and steel door of the barrow has a lock of medium difficulty. Pick a number and add your trickery bonus. If two to eight, move on. If nine to twelve, turn to one forty. Eleven. My trickery bonus of zero. Inside, all is quiet. The antechamber, seven feet high by seven feet wide, is empty, just smooth stone. But deeper in the tomb, you come upon a chamber twelve feet in diameter, with two doors leading off it. You move toward the nearer door when a blood-chilling, dreary song arises in the darkness. Then the two glowing eyes of a white freeze you in your tracks. The clink of rings on the skeletal fingers of the white gives you the shivers. An eerie green light surrounding the white adds to your fear. Turn to 129. 129. In the eerie shadows, you brace for the attack. To determine the white's fighting capabilities, pick a number. Twelve. The white suddenly flees. Turn to one ten. The white dissipates his equipment suddenly at your feet. From his belt, you pull the keys to the doors. The first door opens into an eight by ten chamber containing the bones of two men and two ornate chests. The second chamber contains rusty broken swords, chainmail, and broken flasks and cups. Pick a number. 11. You find jewels worth 50 silver pieces. Move on. From exploring the barrow and our encounter with the white, we've elapsed a total of 130 minutes so far. We must hurry, and so we will take a direct westerly course and move to hex 3E. Three E says, adding 90 minutes, more barren barrows and hillocks stretch before you as far as the eye can see. You've never seen such an eerie, lonesome place. The broken hedge wall and withering trees that stand south of the road add to your sense of foreboding. But your weapon and your mission give you courage. The prominent burial mound just ahead looks promising. Maybe it holds a great treasure. But can you spare the time? If you explore the barrow, turn to 190. Otherwise, move on. I think it best after our encounter with the white if we continue on our course. And so... We'll move on to 4E. Four 4E four e states, 
In the wailing wind that stalks the Barrow Downs, you hear a strange sound, a haunting cry. Is it a beckoning or a warning? Suddenly the sound dies and you're left alone, crossing the haunted hills as quickly as you can. A domed tomb stands 50 feet ahead of you. Turn to 421. All the way to 421. You hear an eerie wail and feel an intense compulsion to explore a nearby tomb. You try to resist the compulsion. Pick a number and add your magical bonus. Three. You give in to the urge. Turn to 430. As you approach the open door of the tomb, a thrill runs through you at the thought of the treasure and adventure that awaits you within. You quickly enter the darkness that awaits. Pick a number. Six. Turn to 140. Here we go again. Bit of deja vu here. Inside, all is quiet. The antechamber, seven feet high by seven feet wide, is empty, just smooth stone. But deeper in the tomb, you come upon a chamber, twelve feet in diameter, with two doors leading off it. You move toward the nearer door when a blood-chilling, dreary song arises in the darkness. Then the two glowing eyes of a white freeze you in your tracks. The clink of rings on the skeletal fingers of the white give you the shivers. An eerie green light surrounds the white, adds to your fear. Turn to 129. In the eerie shadows, you brace for the attack. To determine the white's fighting capabilities, pick a number. Let's hope we roll another 12. Eight. We're facing white number three, which has a OB, which is offensive bonus of one, a defensive bonus of three, and EP of 23. We shall move into combat mode. Combat in the Tolkien gamebook system is um, a little bit complicated in that there are several different actions you can take. You can attack, you have the option of attacking with a missile attack, or um, you may do a melee attack. You also, in some time, in certain circumstances, have the options to sneak away, a sneak attack, or steal and take, but that's only if your opponent is underwear, which is not the case with the white we are facing. Um, there is the option to run away or sneak away and to run past, um, as white number three is looks to be the weakest of the three potential whites that we could face. Um, and this is our first battle. I think I'll keep things simple and go ahead and engage the white in uh, melee battle. It does not appear that the white is capable of a missile attack, such as a bow and arrow, so we'll go ahead and proceed with uh, melee, with the rounds of melee attacks. So um, currently we're engaged in melee, and this is how it's going to go. We roll to see um, what the result is, and we keep rolling until one of us is dead. Unfortunately, we are at a slight disadvantage for melee combat in that 
um, our low rolls on agility resulted in a negative one total bonus for our defensive bonus. Um, fortunately, we do have a plus two for our melee offensive bonus. So um, the ratio there between my offensive bonus and the white defensive bonus is a minus one. The ratio for the whites, when the white attacks, the ratio will be a positive two as the attacker. So we are at a bit of a disadvantage, but we do have 32 in endurance points versus the white only has 23. So hopefully we can hold out. So here's our first attack. It's a five. So we do five and we look at the combat table in the book. shows the ratio is minus one with a roll of five ouch that appears to do zero damage hmm. now this may be an interesting battle the white now attacks ratio that will do six damage hmm. this is not going so well so far so that's six damage taken out of 32 endurance points now I'll attack I'll attempt one more attack and uh, this continues to go as it's going so far we may see if we have another option of perhaps running away seven okay like that does two damage to the white. Oh, the white's gonna attack me. Hmm, eight. Not going so well. Eight. That will do six damage again. So we've taken 12 damage already. The white has only taken two damage. I think we'll go one more round. Pressing our luck a bit here. Aha! 12! Very good. Okay. Alright, 12 at a minus 1 ratio. The white is unconscious. Which more or less means that we've um, been victorious, I believe. So we'll head back to page 129 and see how things fare. Okay, if you defeat the white or he flees, turn to 110. Indeed, now we're back and we have another chance at a treasure. 110, the white dissipates, his equipment suddenly at your feet. So once again, this has happened to us once before. From his belt, you pull the keys to the doors. The first door opens into an eight by 10 chamber containing the bones of two men and two ornate chests. The second chamber contains rusty broken swords, chainmail, and broken flasks and cups. Pick a number. Let's see what we have here. Seven. Okay, you find a magic bow with six arrows. Additional plus one to OB. Very good. All right. And then we can move on. So we'll continue for now, although these barrow downs are getting somewhat monotonous. 
we'll move, we'll continue in our easterly, excuse me, westerly direction to hex 5E. Reading the section for hex 5E. Before we do that, some quick housekeeping. The total amount of time that has elapsed so far is 365 minutes. When we reach 780 minutes, we must rest for the night and eat a meal. And we have lost, with our encounter with the white, we lost 12 um, hit points. We took 12 damage. Um, we do have the healing herbs, though, that allow us to heal damage. So before we move on to X 5e I'm going to go ahead and use one of our healing herbs. We only have three, and we haven't quite made it one-third of the way to Hobbiton. But um, given that um, we lost 12 hit points, I think it's time to use a healing herb. Six, so we restore six hit points, that's good. So we reduce our damage taken to six. So we have 26 hit points at this point. Here we are, section 5E. 90 more minutes has elapsed. The hedge wall running south of the road is broken in places. The line of trees that once marked it as a great route is ragged too. Decay surrounds you. Suddenly an eerie wail carries in the west wind, chilling you to the bone. Yet your mission and everything you know about the haunted barrows tells you that you must go on. If you explore a barrow, turn to 107, otherwise move on. So at this point we've pretty thoroughly explored some barrows. I don't think we should explore another one. We could continue on our present course or we could deviate. Um, the barrows are certainly getting monotonous. I think we'll move forward one more hex, and if there's another barrow or tomb there, then um, I think it's going to be time to deviate. I don't think we can handle too many more battles with a white. So 90 minutes has elapsed. We're moving on to hex 6E. 6E. You never dreamed so many princes had ever lived and that the royal bones could occupy so many tombs. Only the constant wind and an eerie wail from the east break the ominous silence of the downs. Before you, one barrow stands on a rise. If you investigate the tomb, turn to 190. Otherwise, move on. Um, hmm. So we do have the option of moving closer to the road but not traveling along the road. Um, and um, there's certainly the concern that we'll encounter a Nazgul or some other nasties on the road. So I think we'll travel up to 6D, which is in a northwesterly direction. But rather than traveling along the road, we will travel beside the road and see. Hopefully we can stay out of sight of anyone traveling along the road that may have ill intent. So 6D. You hear horses galloping toward you, their hooves pounding on the road. Pick a number and add your trickery bonus. If eight or more, turn to 363. Otherwise, turn to 373. Hmm, this could be bad. 90 more minutes have elapsed. And we're on 60, so we need to roll and add our trickery bonus. Our trickery bonus is zero. 
I think we're wanting a high number here of eight or more. Seven. 373. Hopefully is not too terrible. 373. You dive into the brush and peek up at two rough-looking men on horses. One man looks down in your direction and calls out in a threatening voice, We saw you. Now come up out of there before we come in after you. a little picture of the men. They don't look too friendly. Well, we were unlucky. Our trickery bonus um, did not help us, so I'm assuming staying hidden is probably not the right choice. So the options are stand and talk or run away. If we run away, we most likely will have to run in a random direction. Um, but I think given what we know about the dangers of the road, that may be the best course of action at this point. So attempt to run away 191 might be foolhardy considering that they have horses but we'll see 191 191 you run like the wind the hooves of the bandits horses pound the ground behind you you turn to face them. They bear down on you, swords raised, ignoring your pleas for mercy. You draw a weapon and crouch to meet the first rider. So this seems especially bad. Again, running, perhaps, against horses was perhaps the worst choice there. 210. If you hold your ground ready to battle the highwaymen, you, excuse me, you hold your ground ready to battle the highwaymen. If you talk with the highwaymen, turn to 402. If you fight, turn to 272. Hmm. We do have a melee OB of plus two. Um, I neglected this in our battle with the white, but um, we do have a plus one damage from our sword as well. But I think taking on a highwayman on horseback, uh, I think we should try every option before combat. I think combat would be unwise, so let's try to talk to them. So we'll turn to 402. Perhaps I should have stayed in the Marrow Downs. 402, you try to talk the two highwaymen out of robbing you. Look, let's be friends, you say. They rush you, weapons drawn. You are surprised by the attack. Turn to 210. You may not choose to talk. Alright. 210. Hold your ground ready to battle. Turn to 272. Quick with blade and club, they quickly dismount to attack you. Subtract two from any runaway attempts. Okay, so we have to battle both highwaymen, which seems rather difficult. But we shall see if we are successful. Combat will now commence.
must fight the highwaymen one at a time. Um, our ill-fated attempts to run away and to talk to them resulted in us being surprised, um, so they attack first. The first highwayman's offensive bonus for melee is plus one. Our defensive bonus is minus one, so the ratio when the first highwayman attacks will be two. When we attack, our offensive bonus is plus two. The highwayman's defensive bonus is minus one, so the ratio for our attack will be plus three. So since we were surprised, the highwayman attacks first. Um, we do have a better ratio, but the highwayman will attack first, and the first highwayman has 28 um, hit points, endurance points, and we only have 26 after using our healing herb. So we will see how this goes. Uh, we could attempt to run away, but um, given that we must subtract two from any runaway attempts, I think at this point we will stand and fight and see what happens if we are defeated or if we are if we are successful. So that's a six for the highwayman's first attack. Looking at the combat table, a roll of six and a ratio of two plus two results in damage taken of four. So our endurance points are down to 22. Now our attack. Hmm, 10, very good. 10 with a ratio of plus three, that might do it right there. 10 with a ratio of plus three. The first highwayman is unconscious and defeated. Very good. Wow, great roll. Okay, so combat will now commence with the second highwayman. The second highwayman has an offensive bonus of zero and our defensive bonus is negative one, so for his attacks, the ratio will be positive one. For our attacks, our offensive bonus, again, is positive two. His defensive bonus is zero, so the ratio will be plus two for our attacks. So the highwayman attacking first. Three. Pretty sure that does zero damage, consulting the combat table. And a three is rolled with a ratio of positive one. Yes, that's zero damage. Very good. Now our roll. Eight. The highwayman had a starting endurance points of 24. So again, with a roll of eight and a ratio of plus two. Uh, that's uh, seven damage taken. Oops, six damage taken, excuse me. So six damage, so 24 minus six is 18 remaining. So move to the next round of combat. Six. So six with a ratio of plus one is damage of three. So we have taken now three damage. the three damage will reduce our endurance points to 19. And then our next attack on the highwayman, um, by the way, the highwayman 
I'm remembering only has 17 endurance points remaining because we're armed with a sword, so that is an extra point of damage. So the High Women has 17 hit points remaining. And our next attack, our next roll will be... Mmm, Snake Eyes. So that's most likely going to do zero damage, but let me double check with a ratio of positive two. Yes, it's always zero damage, actually, regardless of the combat ratio. So an ineffective attack. Um, we're still pretty evenly matched, so I think we'll keep going with combat. The High Women's Attack. Mmm, a seven? No, an eight. An eight. Um, High Women rolls an eight. Um, with a ratio of plus one, that will do five additional damage. Five additional damage. So we are down to 19 minus five is 14. Hmm. So we're starting to get low on endurance points. Our attack. Hoping for big numbers here. Hmm. Eight as well. And our ratio is plus two. So eight with a ratio of plus two, that does six damage, plus um, the extra for our sword does seven damage. So the highwayman is down to 10 hit points. I think we will keep going. Hopefully we survive a couple more rounds. That's eight again for the highwayman. So again, eight with a ratio of plus one is five additional damage. So we're down to nine. We're down to nine endurance points. And then the our attack. Hmm, five. Not so good. Five with a ratio of plus two. That will do three damage. Plus an extra damage for our sword is four, so the women's down to six damage. Do another roll. Hope for a low roll here for the highwayman. Four. Okay, I think we can live with that. Roll of four with a ratio of plus one. That does one damage. So we're down to eight. And our roll, Highwayman has hit points of six. Let's see, with a ratio of plus two, if we get at least a seven, then the Highwayman will be unconscious. And our roll is seven exactly. So we have rendered the Highwayman unconscious. It does five damage with the additional damage of our sword. The Highwayman is down to zero. So we have been victorious in our battle against the two Highwaymen. It says, if you win the fight, turn to 182. One eighty-two. You have won a tough fight and take one man's horse and rush off. Wounded in the battle, the horse stumbles and falls, throwing you. You stand and dust yourself off. Lucky you didn't break your neck. Move on. From our travels and our encounters with the highwaymen, another 305 minutes total have elapsed. So um, the total so far is 670 minutes. So um, when we get to 780 minutes, so 110 more minutes, that would be time for us to rest for the night. Um, so since we're close to resting for the night, I think we will test our luck and just um, 
move one more hex down the road to 7D, and um, we're close to resting for the night, and when we do rest for the night, we are able to eat a meal and restore some of our uh, endurance points. We have taken 24 damage, so we're down to only 8 endurance points at this point. Uh, but we'll move on to 7D and see what happens. D. Your tiresome journey continues. 90 additional minutes have elapsed. Suddenly you see a tall, dark-haired man on horseback emerge from a stand of trees along the highway. Turn to 441. The man wears muddy leather boots and a gray cloak carries a sword, a bow, and a silver dagger at his side. He slows as he nears and calls out in a friendly way. Hello there, no need to be afraid. Name is Pock. I'm just a roving minstrel. You see a lyre strapped to the man's back. His long legs and leather boots catch your eye. He reminds you of Strider. Let me offer you food and drink, he says. You watch as he reaches into his knapsack and produces a bottle and a loaf of bread. The bread is no fresher than me, I'm afraid, he says with a hearty laugh. Ten additional minutes have elapsed, and I would say with the silver dagger and the fact that he reminds you of Strider, could be a trick, but I think we should go ahead and talk with the man and turn to 218. You stand, carefully watching the man's every move. He offers you the bottle he holds. It's good Darwinian wine, he says with a smile. Go on, it's safe. Drink while I play you a song. He pulls out his lyre and strums a lively melody, waiting for you to drink. Then he sings, Oh, I once was in danger and called for a ranger, who's less than family but more than a stranger. If you trust the man and want to drink the wine, turn to 172. If you do not trust the man, turn to 174. I'll do a quick rule check here because... 15 more minutes has elapsed, so we are at our time where we must rest for the night. But I think we can go ahead and do the action first. Do a quick rule check here. Okay, so according to the rules, we must rest. Um, I assume we start in the same spot, though, the next day. Um, so we can perhaps um, envision us camping down for the night with um, this minstrel, this gentleman who appears to perhaps be a ranger. So we rest, and when we rest, we must eat a meal. As a uh, reminder, we have seven meals total, so now we're down to six. So we have six meals, and when we rest for the night and eat a meal, um, according to the advanced rules, we may reduce our damage taken by 15, which is fantastic because we just took a bit of damage from the highwaymen. So our damage taken is now down to nine, which means we have 23 endurance points remaining and the time elapsed now is one day elapsed so we have journeyed for one day towards Hobbiton and we continue our encounter with the minstrel with the singer here who may be a 
Ranger, let's see. If you trust the man and want to drink the wine, turn to 172. If you do not trust the man, turn to 174. So 172. You drink the wine offered by the man you believe to be a ranger and feel immediately refreshed. Beware bandits on this road. They're near, he tells you. Keep a sharp eye on the woods, too, for orcs are everywhere. Rest off the road and in abandoned houses and the like, but look them over carefully first. If you have one to two meals, the man gives you four meals. Um, we have six meals remaining, so he doesn't give us any meals. If you have no weapon, he gives you a dagger. And we do have a weapon. Actually, we have two because we have our sword and our magic bow. So, and 15 minutes has elapsed. You thank him and move on. So, we I think we need to get off the road. Um, unfortunately, we not, did not make much progress there. We only missed one hex of the Barrow Downs, but I think if we want to continue on our way toward the old forest, then our only choice is to go back towards the southwest off the road to hex 8E. Eight E ninety minutes has elapsed. Down stretch before you like ugly knuckles of earth. The wind bites at your face as you approach a rounded burial mound, its heavy oak door locked and barred. If you explore the tomb, turn to one ninety. Otherwise, move on. We're definitely done exploring tombs, um, so I think we go ahead and move to nine E. We're nearing the old forest now. Nine E. Nine E. The downs wear at you. The green curtain of the old forest looms just a few miles ahead. To the north, you see the ragged hedge wall that runs south of the Great East Road. Beside it stands a broken line of trees. Turn to 421. Four twenty-one. You hear an eerie wail and feel an intense compulsion to explore a nearby tomb. Bah, here we go again. You try to resist the compulsion. Pick a number and add your magical bonus. If two to seven, you give in to the urge. If eight to 12, if you want to explore the tomb, you may otherwise move on. Five, and our magical bonus, unfortunately, is minus three. So we must turn to 430 and face yet another tomb. I trust this will be the last one, one way or the other. As you approach the open door of the tomb, a thrill runs through you as the thought of the treasure and adventure that awaits you within. You quickly enter the darkness that awaits. Pick a number. Eight, so we turn to 105. This is new. You enter a dark 7x7 seven seven antechamber leading into a circular vault 15 feet in diameter with three identical doors leading from it. Is there treasure behind all three doors? You start toward the nearest door when you hear the slow rising dirge of a haunted spirit, a white song. If you fight the white, turn to 135. Otherwise, turn to 111. Hmm. I certainly do not want to fight any more whites, so we will turn to 111. You turn and race for the door, the white's haunting song in your ears. Pick a number and add your general bonus. 
If 2 to 9, turn to 135. If 10 to 12, move on. Five, our general bonus is one, so that's a six. So turn to 135. One thirty-five. Yet another white. To determine the white's fighting capabilities, pick a number. Five. So we're facing white number two. Another battle. Yet another battle with a white. The difference here <coughs> with this battle, <coughs> excuse me, is that now that we have our bow, we may make a missile attack. So, unfortunately, our character here, Vigao, is not very good with a with ranged weapons. So our missile OB is negative two. That's even with the magic bow, it's negative two. And the white's defensive bonus is one. So the ratio there for a missile attack is minus three. So this is not a good ratio, but um, we have the magic bow, we have some arrows. We may as well make an attempt here for at a missile attack. So rolling for our missile attack. Hmm, 11. Okay, very good. Okay, 11 with a ratio of minus three does six damage. So the white takes six damage. White number two starts with a endurance points of 33. So that would be a um, remaining endurance points of, let's see how my math is here. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven remaining points. And then after you make a missile attack, so I do lose a arrow, so I'm down to five arrows. But after you make a missile attack, you may attempt a run past action. And the way that run past works is um, you you also also have, always have the option to run away. What you do for that is pick a number and add your running bonus for run past. You pick a number, add your running bonus, but subtract two from the number. Now, if we are successful, we may, um, as I understand it from the action table, it says, um, you may follow the text instructions or move on. Otherwise, you must fight your opponent. Um, so, as I understand it, the way that this works is, um, but in the fighting, it says you may attempt to run past and if successful, proceed to step one. So, I believe we have to continue with combat, but that's a little bit unclear from the rules. Um, I don't know if we have the option then, if we run past, to continue running with our tail between our legs or not. But we'll, we'll see how it goes, and if it's successful, uh, maybe I'll consult the rules and see if we can get some clarification on that. So, we attempt to run past action. Roll on for the past action. That's only five, so I don't think that's going to do it. Our running bonus, unfortunately, is minus one, so that is a four, and uh, so it's, it's just if it's more than seven or less than seven, so it's less than seven, so we were unsuccessful, so that means that the white has forced melee combat, 
and in which case I think I get another attack before the white attacks. Yeah, proceed to step three of combat. Because the white was not able to make a missile attack, whites are incapable of that, and so we're in combat. I think um, any chance we're, we get, we're going to continue to try to run away, because this particular white has an offensive bonus of three, and with our defense, defensive bonus of negative one, that gives the white a ratio of positive four. So um, we are a little bit out of our league here in fighting this particular white. Um, we've survived battle with two other whites. This one um, looks a little bit more scary than the last ones, but nevertheless, we have to engage in at least one... Wait a minute. Actually, I think we do have the option to run away before we attempt melee combat. So we're engaged in melee. Um, mm -hmm. We're engaged in melee, so um, we do have the option to run, but that means that the white then will get a free attack if we're unsuccessful, and basically we make no progress in the attack. But we've, we've had enough. We've had our fill of whites, so we're just going to keep trying to run away. So we pick a number and add our running bonus. Um, the downside is we must run away in a random direction um, if we are successful, so we could go back into the Barrow Downs and have to keep just doing this over again, but I think um, heading back to the Barrow Downs, maybe we will avoid the other tombs and not have to face any more whites. We shall see, but so we're going to attempt to run away, so this is our running roll. Hmm, six. So we were unsuccessful in our attempt to run away, now the white is going to attack. Oof, nine. Very bad. Very bad indeed. With a ratio of plus four and a roll of nine, that does nine damage. Nine damage. We were, um, we have 23, so 23 minus nine is going to be 14 remaining. So another couple of those and then we'll be done for. So I believe we can just keep attempting to run away then with the ratios being what they are. I think that would be wise. We only need to get an eight or above. We need to get an eight or above to run away from the white. And there we have a nine, so we've successfully run away. So we have run away, and I'm going to do a quick rule check here. There is still the option to run past, I believe, but I'm gonna clarify that. Well, no, we wouldn't, that wouldn't have been as successful anyway if we were trying to run past because we have to um, add our running bonus, which is minus one. So we rolled a nine, our running bonus is minus one, so that's eight, so we're successful to run away. But we have to run away in a random direction, which is the, this is the first time that we've done this. So the way that move on in a random direction works after we run away from the white is... Um, Direction. The way that it works is um, we pick a number, and then based on that number, that will tell us which direction we have to go in. Ideally, we want to get an 8 or a 12. That will move us to um, hex 9F, which is toward the little path that runs through the old forest. I don't know if we try to go along the path, if we'll encounter Tom Bombadil or not, but it seems the safest way to go, so um, we'll just stick to the path and see if old Tom comes out or not. So here we go. We're running away, moving in a random direction, and our roll is nine again. Nine. 
So that moves us, unfortunately, in a southeasterly direction to hex 8F. Let's read the text for 8F. Before you, an ancient round-domed barrow stands. Of course, yet another barrow. Its door locked. What golden weapons might lie scattered inside? If you explore the tomb, turn to 107. Otherwise, move on. And finally, that allows us we can go ahead and move on to 9F. I believe we are finally, finally out of the barrow domes. And that seems a fitting place to end our playthrough for this evening. Um, we may come back and play through the rest in a part two, but in the interest of avoiding this podcast from getting too long, I think I will stop there for now, and we'll move on into a review of Night of the Nazgul. Playing through Night of the Nazgul felt like almost the opposite end of the gamebook spectrum from last week's book. With the map-based movement, you can go anywhere you like and spend as much time as you like, although time does become more important during the second half of the book, which we'll see if we return for phase two. Since the world is a bit more open, it has great replayability. There's an entire north half of the map that we never even touched, and despite feeling like we were stuck in the Barrow Downs forever, there's actually a lot more of that than what we saw as well. I also really liked the combat chart. It breaks up the monotony of dice throwing and allows for a greater variety of outcomes for each attack. I appreciate the additional options for character creation and skills as well. The combat ratios do feel a bit finicky, but having separate skills for offense and defense gives the reader a choice of playstyles. I went for more of an offense first approach with a higher melee OB and with the sword, but you could also pair a high agility roll with the chainmail as starting equipment for more of a defensive approach. There is a learning curve with the rules, and it felt to me like some of them could have been simplified. The description of running away and running past in the rules section of the book actually seems to contradict the text of the action chart, and I'm not even sure I ever quite got that part right. I also think the book feels a bit too easy at times, although I was aided by some really good rolls during some of the battles. Even if you lose in combat, though, you may just be unconscious for a while and then wake up or have another opportunity to escape. It doesn't feel like there are very many insta-kill sections, which is fine and dandy if you're looking for a lower stress game book experience, but it does feel a little less exciting at times. Another little quibble is that a lot of map sections, at least in the Barrow Downs, send you to the same encounter sections, which feels like a cheap shortcut. But I suppose thematically it fits, since the Barrow Downs are supposed to feel monotonous and repetitive. On my next playthrough, I'll take the northern route and avoid the Barrow Downs altogether. Overall, I definitely recommend vintage game book fans check out Night of the Nazgul. I still feel like I'm only scratching the surface of this one, so it's a bit hard to assign it a rating. Based on what I know now, I'd give it 4 out of 5 stars, but that could change in future play with future playthroughs. I do hope to play it again soon, or perhaps to play other books in the Iron Crown Enterprises catalog. We may do that in a future episode, but I've got a couple of other things lined up first. Our next episode is a surprise. I hope you join me again in two weeks for another episode of the Vintage Game Book Podcast.